I'm going to be embarrassed if I left my servant in the office. I did. <laughs> we sing another hymn while I go get it. <laughs> I think it's on the desk. It's actually a pile. Oh, wait, David, it's here. It's here. Oh, he's gone. There's nothing like this to keep you from believing in the infallibility of ministers. Well, we are going to read two passages of Scripture. Uh, the first is from Matthew chapter 2. And I know your pastor preached on this a couple of months ago. Uh, we're going to look at uh, one small part of it. And the other is from Revelation chapter 12. I'll read the first 12 verses of that. <clears throat> you can read them silently to yourself and meditate. <laughs> What, no sermon? <laughs> Thank you, brothers. <clears throat> Please join me in prayer as we approach the Word of God. Our Father in heaven, it is a wonderful, a wonderful mercy and grace on your part that you have stooped to make yourself known to us and to people from every nation down through the centuries. Speaking in your word to reveal yourself, to reveal your son, Jesus Christ, and to call us to yourself through faith in him. And so now we ask for the blessing of your Holy Spirit that as we read your word, your Holy Spirit will also Open our eyes, give us understanding, uh, give us hearts uh, to respond with faith and uh, with uh, repentance and to grow in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, are we getting some feedback from this mic? Because I've got the lapel mic and I'm hearing feedback. Matthew chapter 2, I'm reading from large print, <laughs> read out, that's why the Bible's sitting here. Matthew chapter 2, uh, after we read in Matthew 2 of the visit of the Magi, their encounter with King Herod, uh, their travel to Bethlehem where they found uh, the, the child, not called an infant or a baby, the child in a house with his mother. They present their gifts, and we take it up at verse 12 of Matthew 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they, the Magi, departed to their own country by another way. Now, when, it had, when they had departed, 
Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under. According to the time that he ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what is spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And then from Revelation chapter 12, we'll read the first 12 verses there. <clears throat> Series of heavenly visions given to John on the island of Patmos. Give heed to God's word. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. Down her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant, crying out in birth pains, the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, who is the one to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer a place, any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. 
And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the ruler of our brothers has been, for, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth, to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. Well, what have we seen in these two passages? We have seen two kings. We have seen the earthly king, Herod, a raging and wicked man, a powerful tyrant. And with Herod, we have also seen the power behind him, the dragon. with his seven heads and his seven crowns and his mighty power to deceive the nations. And we've also seen the invisible king. Well, not invisible to the Magi or to the shepherds or to Joseph and Mary. But the humiliation of Christ is presented here in a house now, not in a barn, a toddler, a child, so some time has passed. But he is a nobody, politically powerless. His parents may not be poverty-stricken. His father is a skilled worker, builder, but we would call them poor. All of this happened long, long ago. And yet I think in these passages, there is encouragement and hope and warning for us as we think not about Christmas long ago, but as we think about the future before us in this new year. <clears throat> well, let's look at Herod first. Excuse me. Herod was the king of the Jews, but he was an illegitimate king. He was an Edomite, and the law of the Lord in the covenant made with Israel at Mount Sinai uh, through Moses forbade any to rule God's kingdom except a descendant of Abraham. So Herod was illegitimate. He bought his crown from Rome <clears throat> with a princely sum. He was an evil and terrible king. We see that in his actions in Matthew 2, seeking to deceive uh, the, uh, the Magi, uh, and then setting out to destroy the newborn child, or the child who's been born, uh, by just taking out all the boy children under the age of two in the district of Bethlehem. Now, that probably wasn't hundreds. It might have been 20. 
But still, that is a horrible, horrible mass murder. We might ask, what drove Herod and people like him? He began well, as the world would see it. He was well-educated. He was handsome. He was personable. He was an athlete. People liked him. But he was consumed within by a lust, a lust for fame, for glory, for wealth, uh, which he displayed in his, built his fabulous building projects. He may be familiar with Masada. Uh, he rebuilt Jericho for a second time, uh, built a port city on the Mediterranean. So that fabulous mm, architect, uh, he had a lust for power. And as he got more and more power, he had an increasing fear of anybody who might take it from him. He had a wife put to death. He had a son put to death because he suspected them of possible treason against him. This descent into paranoia and hatred, not unique to Herod. We see it in history with many tyrants. I think of Stalin. I think of Hitler. I think of others. Our Lord Jesus spoke of such tyrants. He, he, he epitomizes what our Lord said. Uh, that is, Herod epitomizes what our Lord said. The rulers of this world lorded over their subjects in contrast to Jesus and to the kingdom of God. The rulers of this world do not see themselves as servants of God is answerable to him, though they will be. And then the power behind the throne, the dragon whom we read in chapter 12. He had some understanding of who Jesus was coming into the world, certainly not a clear understanding of what his mission was, but he sought to destroy him, sought to destroy him at his birth through Herod, his tool. Herod was a tool of the dragon. We see that reflected in Ephesians 6, 11 and 12, where the apostle tells us that our struggle, our spiritual warfare in this life as Christian believers, as churches, is not against flesh and blood. They're not the enemy. Herod's not the real ultimate enemy. It is against principalities and powers, spiritual forces in high places. That is, whose created abode is heaven. Well, now they've been cast down to earth and are doing all they can in opposition to God. Herod and the dragon failed. Failed. God the Father was protecting his son. He protected him with dreams given to Joseph, angels speaking to Joseph in dreams. Dream given to the Magi, the gifts of the Magi. Certainly uh, very valuable, probably financed the flight into Egypt and however long they had to stay there. All that provided by the Lord God to protect his son from Herod and the dragon. And then verse 19. 
Herod died. That's good news if you're Joseph and Mary, concerned for the life of your son. Herod's dreams of fame and glory died. His wealth and power divided among his heirs. His usefulness to Satan died. His threat to Jesus died. Herod thought that by tricking the Magi, he could destroy a threat to his rule from the birth of any supposed Messiah. When that did not work, he thought he could protect himself by cruel, brute force and murder. He thought he had control of his life and power of life and death over everybody around him. And how wrong he was. He was the subject of the sovereign God who rules all things, even the Herods of this world. Satan's hand may be at work behind the scenes, but even Satan himself is subject to the sovereign rule of God. So it is God, using Herod, restraining his evil, measuring out the days of Herod's life, cutting off his cord, it was God who ruled him, and when it pleased God, his life on earth was ended. Ended under the wrath of God, his judge. What a terrible way to leave this world. Herod died, and every Herod dies. And that is why Psalm 146, verses 3 and 4 Say, do not trust in princes, and we can say, do not fear them either. Do not trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, the one who made the heavens and the earth. So Herod died. But Jesus lived. And that's our second point. The helpless little toddler, protected by his father in heaven, while Herod's soldiers rushed to Bethlehem on an errand of murder. Many times the dragon sought to kill the child, the man. You can think of his coming to Jesus after his baptism in the wilderness, coming to him in the wilderness to tempt him as an effort by seduction, by clever seduction to destroy him. If the thought is not even thinkable, if Jesus had weakened and yielded, I don't know, would the universe have come to an end? Horrible, horrible thought, but we don't need to think that thought because the devil failed there. And when Jesus went to his hometown in Nazareth uh, to preach there, he offended 
by his truth, he offended uh, his fellow people of Nazareth, where he grew up, and they sought to kill him, but they could not. Then one of his own disciples betrayed him. His enemies plotted. Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, they plotted to put an end to him. The dragon and his herods could not kill the Son of God, Jesus. Not until the hour of his appointed death. The appointment planned with the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son in the councils of the triune God before the world was created. That's how old God's plan of salvation is for us. But Jesus could not be killed until the appointed time. And when that time came, the devil surely thought, with Judas's betrayal, with the kangaroo court trial by the priests and Sadducees and Pharisees, mocking of Herod, the son of Herod, the cruel whipping, scourging, mocking, crown of thorns, the humiliation heaped upon him by the soldiers, Pilate's cowardly, cowardly betrayal of justice. And finally, Christ's agony, his agony unto death on the cross. Surely the devil thought he had triumphed. But he didn't. The devil's defeat and the triumph of God's plan of salvation was accomplished by Christ on the cross. When he cried out, it is finished, and yielded his spirit to the Father, that was a cry of victory, accomplishment. Jesus had said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. He was not the victim of people overpowering him against his will. Not the victim of demons overpowering him against his will. But he was offering himself to make full atonement by his death. For all of us sinners who deserve death because of our sins. He fully paid the wages of sin, that is death. For all of those who turn to him. And trust in him. And then he rose from the dead. Because death could not hold him. That's how Peter says it. In Acts chapter 2. He took away. The power of Satan. To accuse. <laughs> By his death. He took away the power of Satan. To enslave people to the fear of death. By his resurrection. <clears throat> and from his throne at the right hand of the Father now, 
He sends his mighty Holy Spirit to give life to dead sinners and bring us to saving faith in him. On the cross and in his resurrection, Christ defeated the dragon. Now he lives and reigns forever as king in heaven over all the earth, over all the heavens, over all the kings and rulers of the earth, including Satan. All things have been placed under his feet for the church, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. All things under his feet for the church. By his word and spirit, he is now calling lost sinners out of the realm of darkness, out of the dominion of Satan, to himself in God-given faith, into his kingdom as he builds his church on earth, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against him, against it. And so that brings us to the third point. The dragon and his Herods not only could not kill Jesus, they cannot kill the church of Jesus. We read Revelation 12, <clears throat> most of it. After Satan was defeated in his effort to destroy the Christ, He's further defeated by the armies of angels in heaven and cast down to the earth. He's no longer able to accuse God's people before God in the heavens. He's been shut out of the counsels of God. But he has come down to earth full of wrath because his time is short. Somebody once said, well, you can admire the devil for one thing. He's not a quitter. He knows he is doomed, but he is so consumed, consumed with his hatred of God, of all things pleasing to God and to the people of God, that he is not about to surrender. Give thanks to God that he is like a mean dog on an iron leash and can do no more than God permits. He hates Christ. He hates God's Son, but he can't assault him at the right hand of the Father. He also hates the people of Christ, his church, and has been assaulting the church of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. Well, surely by now the church must have been destroyed. <laughs> that has not happened, and it won't happen. Every Herod, every tool of the dragon, while he lives and does his evil deeds, does only what God permits and what serves God's larger purposes, and then he dies. Herod always dies. Hitler by suicide. Stalin. 
cringing in paranoid fear in his bedroom, wouldn't even let doctors attend him because he thought they'd have poisoned him. Died. Mao died. Leaders of ISIS died. Now they're coming back again, but God will deal with it. Putin will die. The imams who rule Iran will die. All the would-be Herod's waiting in the wings in the Western nations will die. The church has her victorious Christ, Savior and risen Lord, victor, ruler, giver of the Holy Spirit, and the resurrection and the life. So he could say, do not fear those who can only kill the body, but I'll tell you who to fear. Fear him who can kill the body and send to, send to hell. Fear God, in other words. But not just fear. Rejoice in hope, because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die, shall never truly die. So, I conclude by directing your attention to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. When we are tempted, and we are tempted, to think, probably not consciously, but unconsciously, that God's losing control of things. That evil is on the rise and it's going to win. The darkness is snuffing out light. That the dragon is growing his power. We let ourselves be consumed with the fearful things of this world. Which might even be as close to home as what happens if all of my Retirement savings are wiped out by financial collapse, let's say. If that's our focus, we lose our hope. We cannot live the way we ought to, honoring Jesus Christ. But Colossians 3 verse 1 says, if you have been raised with Christ, and I think that's better translated, since you have been raised with Christ. Because it's not a question whether Christian believers have been raised with Christ. You wouldn't be a believer if you hadn't been united with Christ in the power of his resurrection. So since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. For Christ is seated at the right hand of God. There's the focus for our lives. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. But let's be clear, he's not saying, walk down the street thinking about heaven and stepping into manholes or bumping into light posts. That's not his point. But his point is, he knows, he knows we have to live in the real world, that we have to deal with the reality of this world. But we understand the reality of this world 
And we can deal with the reality of this world when we see it in the light of the ascension, the resurrection and ascension and rule of Christ at the Father's right hand for his church. He says, for you have died. But we did. We died to the powers of this world. When we were united, when we were united to Christ, you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That is a hope that Herod cannot take away from you. Or any would-be Herod can't be taken away by anyone in this world, any political cause in this world, any financial collapse in this world. Christ reigns, and you are united to him in his rule, the right hand of the Father. That's where our focus in life should be. And when it is, we can look at the troubles of this world, even the fearful troubles of this world, and we can say, thank you, God, that you are in control and that I am your child and that this church belongs to you. Maintain that outlook. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we ourselves are utterly weak and helpless to defend ourselves from forces of evil in this world. And we're often foolish in the way we understand them and respond to them because we fail so often to see everything in the light of the triumph of your son, his ascension to your right hand to rule over all the affairs of our lives and to bring us to glory. Help us, Lord, to more and more keep our focus upon him and to rejoice in him so that we can rejoice always and in our rejoicing in Christ, bear witness to the world around us, to the world in darkness, that there is light for them if they would come to Jesus. And so we pray, Lord, if there are any present here this morning who have not come to the light, your Holy Spirit would work in them, conquer them, bring them to your Son, bring them fully into your church into the kingdom that will last forever when all the nations of this world crumble to dust. We pray in his name. Amen.